Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. This past Wednesday night, I got an opportunity to visit our Awanas uh, as they were wrapping up. And uh, what happens in the Awana uh, uh, meeting is they all come together at the end for Mr. Steve to ask them some questions, to teach them something. And just so happens this past Wednesday night, he was teaching our Awana children uh, a little bit of and that is the candle that we have just lit on our Advent wreath. It is the second Sunday of Advent. We talk about the peace that our Savior brings and what His birth means. It certainly means to us. We would know it means peace. Well, Mr. Steve asked the entire group there in uh, the fellowship hall, what is peace? And as I listened to the answers to the question, I wondered what would happen in this place if I were to ask you, what is peace? No doubt some of you, especially some of you who are parents, would answer much the same as many of the children did. We heard answers like, well, peace is calm. Uh, Peace is quiet. Uh, What does it mean to have peace? It means it's silent. Uh, To which my heart and some of you would say, amen. That is a peaceful moment when it is quiet. Uh, Jenny's parents are here and we're always grateful for them being here. Yesterday we were riding down the road and they had a couple of the children, a couple of the children in the car asleep on the way home. And as they were asleep, Jenny said, listen, that's a beautiful sound. Just quiet. For some of you, that is peace as you have that. Some of you would answer other things. You would say, well, perhaps it is the opposite of war. We think of peace and war a lot of times in the, in the same thought that if you don't have war, well, you're at peace. And we pray for peace that our nation would not be at war. So that's what peace is. Some of you would say, well, maybe it's even on a, a smaller level than just national war. Maybe it's just the, the opposite or the absence of conflict. If you don't have conflict, then you are at peace. And I would say we're getting close there and peace is all of those things, but I think it's more than that. The Bible presents peace as a condition in which everything is right. Peace is a condition in which everything is right. Or we could say it, everything is as it should be. Isn't it amazing that God created us in His image and even as sinful as we are, we still have an idea of how things ought to be. You don't have to be a believer in following Christ to know and to look around and see that things sometimes aren't like they should be. And you can look at a situation and say, that's not the way things are supposed to be. Certainly when someone is mistreating you, you know that's not the way things are supposed to be. And we stand up to defend ourselves because things are not all right. I want us to read a passage this morning that speaks about this shalom, this peace, and the time that is to come. Because as you and I look around, we know that things are not quite like they are supposed to be. So would you look at Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, we'll read the first 10 verses together. Isaiah 11, begin with me in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, 
or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie, lie down together. Then the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. In that day. The root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire. And in his resting place, excuse me, and his resting place shall be glorious. I think one of the reasons that we all love Christmas time. I am not not sure that you're as excited as my children or the children in here are, but we love Christmas. And even as adults, there's something about this time of year. There's a there's an anticipation or an expectancy as we as we uh, go about the busyness and we think about other folks. It it seems that this time of year is a time that no matter who you are or what you've been a part of this year, uh, there may be sadness, there may be mourning, but when we come to the Christmas time, there is a common feeling of goodwill. We tend to be kinder to others, maybe even others that we're not at peace with during this season. We tend to see and think about reconciliation more at this time of year. There is just a common feeling of goodwill around Christmas. So perhaps that's why we are always so excited and we've made it such a big holiday in our nation that there is a longing for things to be right, for things to be the way they're supposed to be, for forgiveness to be granted, for relationships to be healed, for things to be the way they're supposed to be. And yet, as you and I look around in our world, things are not the way they're supposed to be. Perhaps today you're sitting in here and you would say, Pastor, I could testify that things in my life are they're not the way they're supposed to be. We look around at our own personal lives and there are things that are going on in our lives and we say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. As I was getting dressed this morning, I thought my collar is supposed to fit. This is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be hard to button my collar, especially when I've not gotten to Christmas yet. We look in the mirror and we think things are not the way they're supposed to be. We think about our uh, looks in other ways and think about things are not the way they're supposed to be. Some of you today are struggling with sickness when your child is sick and you hold that child and you think, Lord, could I take this from them? Would you just give me the sickness? Things are not the way it's supposed to be. When you go to the doctor and you hear the news that you are the one with the dreaded disease or you are the one that's going to have to have treatment, you know things in my life are not the way they're supposed to be. 
when you lose a loved one, like the Moore family did this very week, we as a church can say for Teddy and for Preston and for the entire family, things are not the way they're supposed to be. In our physical lives, we know that. Travel a little deeper with me into your life. Some of you have thoughts and you struggle with thinking and and different thoughts in your head and you can't get them out and you can't deal with them and you know it's not the way it's supposed to be. Some of you struggle with addictions or depression or anxiety or fear and it's gripped your life and you think this is not the way it's supposed to be. We have things in our own minds and our own psyche that we know that tell us this is not the way it's supposed to be. And our relationships, if you'll travel with me outside of your life and you think I've got this relationship that's strained or this relationship that's broken or this one that I'm trying to to work on and you have that and we know that things in our relationships often this person will sin against me and I know that that's not the way it's supposed to be and oftentimes we sin against others maybe intentionally maybe unintentionally and and we know in those moments when relationships are broken that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Some of you this year have heard the news that your job no longer exists or you no longer have a job at this place and you know this is not the way it's supposed to be. Some of you look at your checkbook or your bank account and you think this is not the way it's supposed to be. Church, anywhere we can look. You can look around in your life and the life of others and know something is not right. This week it's been brought to our attention very clearly in our own nation that things here are not the way they're supposed to be. Whether it's racism or classism or whatever it may be, the unrest, hatred of others in our nation, hunger, things are not the way they're supposed to be. In Israel, in the time that Isaiah was prophesying, things were not the way they were supposed to be there either. As a matter of fact, their sin had brought them into a place where the wrath of God was poured out. If we go back in the Word of God, you and I will find that from Genesis 3 until now, things have not been the way they're supposed to be. When sin entered our world, everything changed. And so for you and I to look in our own lives or to look in our world and say there's immorality or there's broken relationships or there's sin and it's affecting us or there's things in my own life that are not right and I wish they were better, we know that ultimately it is the presence of sin in our hearts and in the hearts of every human being that causes, that has brought the sin and the lack of peace or shalom that is here. As a matter of fact, the Bible even says that the world itself, the earth in which you and I live, was so affected by sin that we can look at our earth and our weather and the things that are natural disasters and earthquakes and know that's not the way it's supposed to be. That occurred and that came in this earth when sin entered this realm. And we're crying for something to make it better. Isaiah, the prophet of God, gives us a picture here and gives us a hope. The the condition in Israel was indeed dim. I'm not sure what you would say in your own life as you enter this season, as you think about us life. 
the peace candle and celebrating our Savior who can bring peace, some of you might say, there is no peace in my life. There is nothing that I can point to to say, I even have hope that things would be right. Israel was almost there. The enemy had come in and attacked their nation and had spread them out and had tore them down. Look at verse 33 and 34 of the previous chapter. Verse 33, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. Love the language there. It's just you as Israel are a tree and God is just going to take His sword and He's going to cut you down. He'll lop the boughs with a terrifying power. The great height will be hewn down. Your great nation, everything that you were, it was cut down in a moment. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. In other words, God is bringing judgment upon sin in Israel and things are not right. Is there any hope? If you and I are in the world and we see what's going on, the question is, is there any hope? Can or will things ever be made right? And chapter 11 gives us that hope. You've heard it read. Can things be made right? I think chapter 11 is going to answer it. And I think it's going to answer it this way. Who, how, and can we see a glimpse of it? Who can make it right? How can they make it right? And can we see a glimpse of it? Could we see what that might look like? Look at it with me in chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. The reason I read verse 33 and 34 is to let you know the picture that the prophet is showing us here is that the nation is a tree and it's been cut down. And now out of that stump, just like many of you have seen in your own yard, or in your own experience, when you cut a tree down, out of that stump, there may come a shoot. I've seen on different properties and in the woods, sometimes where a a, a massive tree has been cut down and out of that tree, another tree is growing out of that stump and there is a, a strong and mighty tree even in that stump. Here, you have a stump which is the people of God and out of the stump of Jesse, you should recognize Jesse as David's grandfather, out of that stump, David has already come and gone by Isaiah, by the way, Out of that stump, I have cut down the tree of Jesse, the tree of David. I've cut it down, but out of that stump, I am going to bring forth a shoot, a branch from the roots that shall bear fruit. It shall become a full tree that is bearing fruit. What's God saying? I'm going to bring one up, and he will be of the line of Jesse through David. God is pointing Someone who could come to make things right. He describes him here. Here's how you will know him. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Who is this that can do this? It will be the one that my spirit is resting upon. And you know the picture in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus comes up forth from the water of his baptism. The spirit of God descends upon him like a dove fulfilling even this text, the Spirit of the Lord rests upon Him. It is Jesus. Who is it? It's the one whom the Spirit of the Lord is upon. 
How? How will he do it? Look at verses 3 through 5 with me. How will Jesus bring shalom? First in verse 3, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus is the one who shows us how to delight, how to take joy in God. Can you imagine a nation that has just been attacked? Everything is laid in ruins. And the prophet is saying, there's going to be one to come. God's going to raise one up whose delight will be in the Lord. He will delight in the worship of our God. He will not look at the temporal. He will not be concerned and, and, and focus on what's going on in his life. He will delight in the Lord. In the midst of a life where things are not where the way in the midst of a world that is racked by sin, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is Jesus. Not only will he delight in the fear of the Lord, his focus will be on Yahweh. Secondly, there in verse 3, he will judge. I love verse 3 just as an aside. It tells us that a lot of times what you and I trust in, we can't always trust in. Look at it. He'll judge not by what his eyes see, He'll decide not by what his ears hear, but he will judge with truth. Sometimes what we see, we say seeing is believing, and most of the time we trust our sight. It can't always be trusted in this fallen world, so Jesus won't always judge by what he sees. Our ears will not always hear what is right, so Jesus, he will not decide, he will not judge by what he hears. He will judge with truth. He'll judge not by what he sees. He'll decide not by what he hears, but verse 4, but with righteousness. How is our Savior going to judge? He's going to judge with righteousness, with equity. In verse 4. So, he delights in the Lord and he will judge. We look for that. Righteousness, this is what peace is about. Shalom is about things being right. We need one who will judge with righteousness. He doesn't need to trust what he sees or what he hears because he knows all already. End of verse 4. He will strike and kill. His judgment with righteousness will put sin. It will put to death every enemy of God so that His kingdom will be forever. And it is a kingdom of peace. God's reign will be one that's marked by delight in the Lord, judgment with righteousness, and punishment of sin. Verse 5, Righteousness shall be His belt, and faithfulness the belt of His loins. Faithfulness and righteousness. How will He do this? Delighting in the Lord, judging, and bringing punishment. God's going to bring Peace, shalom. What does it look like? I love this picture. It's one of a, if you uh, remember a time when you're a child, you'll remember thinking about the, the picture of a lion and a lamb sitting side by side. The picture here, how will this look? Can, Lord, could you give us a glimpse? Could you show us what it looks like when we get there, when your kingdom comes, when you bring peace, when it is shalom, when all things are the way they're supposed to be, show us what it looks like. And I think that the, the prophet gives us a picture here of the animal kingdom 
Because maybe you and I know a little bit of what it ought to look like with human beings, but we might be biased in the way we think about it. We might think righteousness would revolve around us. And so he's giving you a picture. What would it look like in this kingdom? And he says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. There'll be no wolves coming to kill the lambs. They'll dwell together. The leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf all together. There is no fear. There is no killing. And in the midst of all of this, the wolf and the lamb and the calf and the lion, he says, a little child shall lead them. A little child shall walk up to a lion and be able to lead because everything is the way it's supposed to be. Graze side by side. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Verse 8 is amazing to me. The nursing child can put his hand over the hole of a cobra without fear. And the winged child shall put his hand on the adder's den. No fears. What's he saying? I'm going to put things back. There's I think we would all say that if you would allow a child to play over the hole of a cobra. But in that day, when things are made right, there will be no fear. Because there will be a king sitting on a throne that has punished and removed everything that entered our world with the fall. Verse 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. That's these... Why? Watch this. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. Just like the ocean is full of water in this kingdom, the knowledge of God will cover just like that. Church, you want to know what brings peace? Knowing God. That's what he's saying here. This is what it's going to, when things are the way they're supposed to be, everything will know him. This is the peace that you and I can have. It's a glimpse of what it looks like. We will know him just as we are known and we will be in relation with him in relation to ourselves, in relation to each other, in relation to this earth, there will be peace. It will be just the way it's supposed to be. How is he going to do this? He's going to send a baby in the line of Jesse that will be born in the likeness of man to bring peace. How is he going to do that? He's going to take the strike of the cobra, the bite of the lion, tearing apart of the wolf. And he is going to take all of the evil upon his own shoulders. So that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He made him who knew no sin, sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the problem with all that is not right is ultimately sin. Some of it are direct sin, some of it indirectly. Sin has affected our world. And Jesus makes that right. Why? Because sin carries a punishment and it's death. And He took that death for you and for me. So that the Apostle Paul can say in Romans chapter 5, just listen as I close. Therefore, since we have been just have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what true peace is? 
It's allowing Jesus to make things in your heart right now just the way they're supposed to be. And he can do that on at least two counts for you. This is two sides of this good news we talk about all the time. First, look to the cross. He took the punishment of your sin so that you could have peace in your heart. That thinking, that relating to others, that rudeness, whatever that sin is that you know it's just not right in me, Jesus took the penalty for that and said, I will pay the price. And he went to a cruel Roman cross and he died and shed his blood so that you would not have to. Second, he was put in a tomb and on the third day he rose from the dead. He took the punishment and then he overcame it to show you I can overcome everything I've forgiven you for in your life. So if you think, man, I need this forgiveness. Lord, forgive me for it, but I'm going to have to live in it. The Bible says if God had the power to bring His Son back from the dead, don't you think He has the power to help you overcome what you're struggling with? That's what Jesus said. I'll send my Spirit within you, and He'll teach you the things of God. He'll teach you how to know God. And we just saw in Isaiah 11, that's what's going to bring, bring peace to you. For some of you today, you need to come to this Savior. You need to come to Him and say, I want to repent of trusting me, of trying to make things right, and know that only Jesus can. I want to turn to you. For some of us today, we need to come and say to the Lord, Lord, help me. Give me your power. Bring peace in my life. Help me. Forgive me for seeking it out in every other way. I want it to be the way it's supposed to be. For some of us today, we need to work for that. You see, for those of us who are believers in here, now God says, you need to be about bringing my kingdom. You need to be instruments of peace, peacemakers. You need to be bringing peace to the world. And so we need to be thinking, how in this season can we bring peace? However, of those three, the Lord may be speaking to you this morning. I want you to respond to the word to say, Lord, I need you to bring peace in my heart. Now, how do I take peace and be a peacemaker in this world? To make things the way they're supposed to be. To work for justice. To work for righteousness. Not to just overlook injustice. But to bring the truth of God into our world. Let's do it.